Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Two Goals. Make sure your seatbelt is fastened and your seat back upright. I'm Katya. And I'm Maria Laura. And we are your cabin crew for today's flight. We have the pleasure to have with us on board a former football player and head of college at Stansted Airport College. Wendy Martin retired in 2019 after accomplishing a brilliant football career and transitioned to an educational leadership position, taking off to other flights. She played for Tottenham Hotspur between 2011 and 2019, where she was a crucial player contributing for the club's FAWSL promotion. Football and education are not the only professional experiences to describe her career. You can add beach soccer and actress to the list. Ladies and gentlemen, have an enjoyable flight. Wendy, welcome to Two Goals. Hi, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we're starting this interview uh, asking you something very common, unfortunately, to female footballers, uh, football players from your generation. Being a female football player uh, when you were a kid uh, was not the norm. Despite that, you still decided to continue your football journey. Women's football was still amateur and you had to work, uh, to work out a second plan to live after football. Can you please tell us a bit of your journey uh, and how and when it all started and how did you manage to play and prepare your future? Um, I, I think it started um, well, it started over 30 years ago, really, um, when I was um, six or seven years old. I, I've always, my, my family are big football fans um, and my eldest brother played at a um, good level as well. So um, I think for me, at a young age, I've always been exposed to football. And um, I also had a twin brother um, and the council estate that I grew up on there was um, a, a lot of boys that often um, played a lot of football so really I think growing up um, to um, to have the opportunity to play um, and sort of be in, involved on a, a daily basis um, sort of with a group of, of young boys I think sort of helped me really to sort of develop my football skills and um, it, it, I really sort of found the, the love for the game there, I think. Um, and just from there up until the age of 11, I played with um, sort of in boys teams. That There were no girls teams available when I was growing up. Um, so I was in a sort of very male-dominated environment. But in a way, I also think that helped to develop my skills as well because um, the boys sort of sometimes were a little bit stronger and a little bit quicker. So um, you had to compete and you had to, to push to be able to sort of keep up with those natural physical differences um, that exist. So I think ultimately that actually helped to um, improve my game and improve me as a, as a player. And then there was from um, once I, I left or wasn't able to play for, for the boys teams anymore, um, 11, I moved straight into a ladies team. So um, again, at 12 years old, playing with sort of older individuals and ladies. Um, it, again, there's lots of risks associated with that, but it did um, it always it sort of push me because I was always having to compete with people that were sort of bigger or stronger or more experienced um, the, than I was. So I, I think that really did as well help that sort of develop me as a player. And at 15, I got sort of my first real break. I had an opportunity to sign for Chelsea ladies. So 
Um, I had, I think, four, four or five seasons at Chelsea Ladies, which was a great experience. And it was the, the first time I um, started to get, um, I think, a, a real sort of appetite for, for wanting to to play at the, the highest level and um, sort of push to, to be the very best um, player that I, I could be. Um, we won the treble at Chelsea um got the opportunity to collect the trophies at, at sort of on the pitch at Stamford Bridge. Uh, I just sort of look now the, the, the difference between the response we got um, from the crowd and the level of interest that we got from the crowd then to the level of interest that I, I think that the club is getting now, which is, uh, I think, credit to how far the, the club has or women's football itself has progressed and how people um, are viewing the game and they actually sort of value and appreciate um, the game now. Um, so from there, I, I always realised that women's football was never going to be something I could pursue as a professional career and um, uh, be able to survive sort of financially um, from playing football. So I knew that I was going to have to work hard and, and study hard to create and orchestrate, I guess, a, a, a future for myself and a, a career for myself. So I went to university and um, studied sports physio. And when I graduated from university, I was very lucky that I got the opportunity to um, work with the Arsenal ladies first team um, as their sports physio. And um, that did mean that there was a, a clash because the uh, there was a, a clash between schedules for me being able to train and play and having to work. So I had to make a choice. Um, at the, the time, I, I'd, I'd made the decision to um, pursue my physio career because that was what was um, paying the, the bills at the time, um, whereas the, the football wasn't. So I did that for a number of years. It was fantastic being part of the club when it was absolutely at the peak. And I think... Um, Arsenal ladies really did set the the president for um, women's football and and sort of said this is what it should look like this is how it should be and even when they were out a front on their own and no one was following they still persisted they still sort of continued to um, provide real sort of high level professionalism for the players and support and I, I think that's um, sort of fantastic what the club did and it was great to be be part of that and um, but ultimately I. I missed playing football and I sitting. It, it was hard for me sitting on the bench with my physio bag every week, it, it, watching them play. It, it was, it was really, really tough. And um, it, it got to the point where um, I, I just wanted to play again. So um, I had sort of another big decision um, to make. Um, I started sort of exploring careers um, that would enable me to go back into playing football um, so I moved into teaching. So I, I moved into teaching the, the sports physio, the sports massage um, at university and um, college level. And um, I was teaching, I actually then started teaching the um, Arsenal Academy players. So um, it's still within football and surrounded by football, but just a, a slightly um, sort of in a different way, um, sort of utilising my skills and developing um, sort of different skills. And then that gave me the opportunity to then um, join Spurs and, and start sort of playing for Spurs. When I, I first sort of was offered the opportunity, um, I actually jumped it. I'm actually a Spurs fan as well and have been um, my whole life. So 
as much as I loved Arsenal and it was a great club and they were a great family, it was always hard wearing the Arsenal kit, being a, a Spurs fan. But it was, um, it, yeah, it, it, it was really sort of, I was so proud to have the opportunity to be able to play for Spurs and put on a Spurs shirt when I've supported them and watched them sort of my whole life. So, um, yeah, and then then from there, I've, the rest is history. I, I, I always knew once I started playing for Spurs that I, I said um, that this will be the club I retire at and this is where I, I want to, to finish playing my football. Um, and I just wanted to achieve as much as I possibly could with the club. And I was very lucky that I was surrounded by a great group of people um, that shared the same sort of drive and ambition for the club. And, and we sort of achieved huge um, amounts of success and progress in, in the, the seasons that I was there. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of my, my journey, really. Thank you very much, Wendy, for this incredible summary. And actually, because you were able to to check out other experiences outside sports, which is, well, really, really important part of your career. I think you can maybe share with, uh, with our audiences how, how has, from your perspective, women's football evolution in a way? I mean, I don't know if this is the right word, but I'll, I'll say since you were part of every step of the process, I mean, you were a footballer yourself. You went, I mean, you were a footballer, then you had to leave. I mean, I like how you mentioned that you had to choose or need to focus in on the thing that pay your bills. That's the thing. And that's a problem still now that we keep discussing with our, with our guests. At the same time, you, you went to, you took part of Chelsea, you took part of Arsenal, which are still clubs who are recognized I mean, who have gained recognition, worldwide recognition with their women's team, not mm. only the men's team now. Mm. And with the with your this huge part of your life, which is sports. So maybe if you can highlight some moments where you, maybe you have had this moment where you were, you said now these days, like, okay, this wasn't the thing that I had to do back then. Or, okay, maybe we didn't have the tools, but now I'm aware that they do have this now. So maybe if you can, share some anecdotes on how has this changed in in your from your perspective point of view um i think so much has changed and there's been so much um growth and development um in the game from um the the level of resource and investment that's been put into the game and even now with regards to the um people's perception and, and attitudes um towards the game so i think there's there's been a real sort of shift when it when it comes to women's football and for, for example when i first started um playing and the, the quality of pitches that you'd play in there wasn't always um medical support or physio support um it, sort of available there was there was definitely no strength and conditioning or sort of nutritional or psychology psychological um sort of support for players it, it was very much self-funded there was sometimes when I was um again started started out playing I was having to um borrow money from friends to be able to put sort of petrol in the car or to buy a train ticket just to get to training so I think things like that have, have changed quite sort of dramatically with regards to the quality of the facilities we um often you'd again be car sharing there'd be four or five of you squeezed into a car and all paying a 
couple of pound each for petrol and your changing rooms you'd, they'd be cramped and you'd be squashed in we used to wash our own kit and sometimes not even have kit available or um, you'd get the kit from the men's team the year before so it was oversized and so on so I, I think there's so many sort of things and we're talking sort of 20 30 years ago and it has changed significantly and I think really the the last as I said at Arsenal Arsenal had a very good setup they had a lot of support from the men even 20 years ago Arsenal we were traveling to games um on the the men's coaches the luxury buses that um come fitted with their own sky tv and wi-fi and um coffee machines and ovens and things like that so Arsenal were in a very good position a long time ago but I think it's taken a while for other clubs to um get up to to the level that um they were at and it was really with, with Spurs I think gradually over the years um the men's team invested more and more into the club and um really within my last few seasons at, at Spurs um they really sort of did start to really sort of back the club and support us and hand in hand with that became um, sort of very quickly improved in port performances and um, sort of much better quality in our play um, and sort of personal development as well and um, we were training at the training ground so state-of-the-art pitches we had use of the the gym we had we employed a strength and conditioning coach and we had a, a medical team and access to and um, sort of medical support and um, we had uh, sort of fantastic coaches we um had sort of appointed a um a football um an analytic who came in and was analyzing our games and so the, the support around the club and the investment and the input into um the women's team was sort of significant we got to play at white heart lane and we were invited to partner with the men at sort of various events whether it was hospital visits and sometimes sort of book signings or junior spurs events and we were involved and you were made to sort of feel part of the the, the family uh, the, the spurs family and i think that that was the first time even though we were still um sort of classified as semi-professional and we were still training in the evenings at this point it was the first time i think in at the time 25 year football career where i actually felt like a professional i actually felt like the women's game was getting the the recognition um and investment that it deserved and you can see by the way the games progressed that the quality of even 10 years ago i, I must admit that um i didn't watch women's football I love playing it but I didn't watch it I, I wasn't interested in watching it I actually found it quite slow and um uninteresting um but now it's a completely different game there's so much sort of excitement pace quality some of the goals that you see in some of the play the combination it's it's amazing to see how much the game's progressed and I think it's it's not surprising that the increased investment is resulting in sort of improved um, performances and a better, I guess, productivity as an economist, <laughs> more money, more um, sort of productivity um, and performance for the game. So, yeah, it's, it's come on a, a, a long way um, and it's been, it's, it's been great to see. It still has, I think, got a long way to keep going um, and I think it's still at the stage where the game is still very vulnerable because it's still in its infancy um, and needs to, I think, get sort of more stability and um, sort of consistency with the, 
um, type of investment and things that we're seeing at the moment. Um, but it's definitely made good progress, I think, especially over the last few years, it is starting to gain more momentum. Exactly. It's still a long way to go, as you said, mm. uh, and it's, it's still in its infancy. And uh, I think this time is the crucial time uh, with the pandemic. I mean, the sport, the football, football overall will, will suffer, men's, women. And uh, it's the time to, to not let uh, women's football uh, back. You know, and we need to, 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 to back up now uh, mm. because if the time was, was uh, one year ago, the time is now too. We need to accomplish that and not forget that. Mm. And uh, actually from what you said, from all the things that are changing, uh, some, some things uh, still need development. Um, and uh, it's funny that there that is a word uh, which was and still is difficult to find in the women's football vocabulary that is stability mm. something that we still need to achieve uh, all over the world and in your particular case you played uh, during uh, nine years uh, at Spurs um, mm. and a player who stays so long in a club probably finds stability there this, this is the the idea that we have generally um, and Spurs seems to be uh, the case of it. Uh, we can give the example of Karen Hills and Juan Amoros. Uh, they were coaches uh, for so many years there. They departed uh, the club uh, a couple of months ago after a long uh, journey. In your opinion, is this stability or continuity at coaching and player level an important factor for a better player or team performance? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think for sure it was absolutely um, pivotal to um, the success of Spurs ladies um, over those nine seasons. There was um, a core group of players, coaching staff and the, the medical team that worked together over those nine years. And I think when you spend that much um, time together um, and you share the same values and the same same ambitions you really do form a, a a bond it becomes more than just sort of football they become more than your teammates it becomes a family and I, I think it doesn't then just become about your dreams it becomes about the the dreams of your family as well and I think that really is key to creating that sort of that that culture and that drive and that motivation when you go onto the pitch to give absolutely everything you've got and be the, the very best you can possibly be um, every single game. So, um, it, yeah, I, I think it, it's really important. I've played the, the best football of my career when I was at Spurs um, and I attribute that to um, the, the coaching staff as well who, by having that stability and that familiarity, they knew my strengths, they knew my weaknesses as a player and they were able to um, tailor sessions and um, sort of feedback to enable me to develop those specific weaknesses um, as a player and build on those and um, gave me techniques and strategies to be able to, to work on those and coaching drills. So I really, I've got so much respect for Karen and Kwan. They were fantastic coaches. The commitment that they showed to the, the club offering so much of their, their own personal time um, to support the players and to, to help grow that club in, and help it to become what it is today. Um, I, I've got so much respect for them for, for doing that and, and will be forever grateful to them um, for um, sort of what they did for me as a, a player as well, personally, 
um, and sort of um, professionally. So I, I definitely think that the stability helps that because it helps to build that level of respect and that understanding between coaches and between players as well and I think we're seeing it now as well at Chelsea with um, Emma Hayes um, and sort of her group of players that stability and consistency that um, she's um, been able to sort of maintain and she's been there a number of years now and and you can see she's she's built a family there she's built a really strong core group of, of players that um, all sort of share the, the same values, the same levels of professionalism and the same drive to, to want to be the, the very best club in the world. So, uh, yeah, a, a, absolutely, to answer your question, absolutely, I think stability is really key. And I think sometimes in the men's game, there is often lack of stability, maybe due to the sort of the, the pressures on managers to get results. And if results don't always come, very often that the managers... Um, are removed from their sort of um, position fairly quickly. And I, I, I do hope that we don't start to see the same pattern emerging in the women's game and we can look at um, it sort of finding ways to support managers um, and, and coaches to be able to have a significant period of time with their teams to enable them to, to flourish and, and sort of get the best out of their, their players and, and so on. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think it, it's absolutely key. And, and another example um, was Vic Akers um, at Arsenal all those years ago. He was there for, I think, 18 or 20 years. And um, again, you look at some of the, the best performing clubs in especially the country, you see that the progress that Spurs made and the one thing that all those clubs have got in common is the, the stability and the consistency that they had with their coaching set up and with, uh, with management and with their players. So, yeah, I, I think it's key. Thank you, Wendy. And now we, I think we would like to take advantage of whole history of yourself to now dig into the things that are happening right now to try and take your expertise I mean, I would like to call it your expertise and, <laughs> and to try and analyze what's happening right now. And we, we were into, in 2020, we were kind of like moving into the right direction in many ways to try and develop women's football. And then we have the pandemic and this is where we, everything was struggling mostly for women in sports. It's not only a thing in football, there are several papers and statistics on how women were affected uh, first because they they are always the kind of like the second investment in every sport which is why they start I mean sponsors they start falling out the social media of every team I mean they had to choose how to use wisely their resources and I think women's football everywhere they they were the the first ones to be a lot more damage. I mean, in the end, it was hard for everyone, but yeah, I think we took the, the worst part. But there was a specific case, which is the WSL, who had an special increase, who take advantage of the moment, who take advantage of us staying at home and increase their attention, their visibility, their awareness, even the competitiveness, mostly because they did this or they take advantage of this wave of migration of US players really recognize social media giants like Morgan, Heath, Muiz, Lavelle. And we can agree that there was some development in that area at the top level. Unfortunately, the, this was not the case into grassroots level. 
And we saw all the girls' tournaments being canceled. I mean, this was decreed by DFA, and it was hard for them to make the call, I'm sure, because this happened in a local way in many countries. But at the same time, this will lack a lot of the work and progress that was being made at the moment. What do you think is going to happen? How do you think this will impact in the future of the development of, the, of women's football in England? It's very difficult. I think it's very, I think in um, sort of every sector and industry at the moment, um, I think facing a number of different challenges um, and um, to, to football and within sort of women's football, that, that's no different at all. I think what is, um, it's really disappointing, I think, for um, grassroots players at the moment that they're not able to um, play competitively or they're not sort of able to be training with their teammates. So I, I think that is really very disappointing and there's going to be a, a challenge to stay fit and keep sort of themselves fit and, and keep sort of practising during the lockdown period I, I myself have found it sort of a, a challenge and and I have the experience and the knowledge to um, and and the motivation I guess to be able to pick up a ball and, and go and, and stand in a park on my own and run up and down or do sort of some fitness and go for runs and so on so I think at, at grassroots level when you're just maybe starting out or you don't sort of necessarily have the knowledge of of what you can be doing to develop yourself I I think it is um, hard the thing that I think is positive um, and I think the situation would have been very different if the pandemic happened five years ago say Um, I think what's positive is that the visibility um, and the accessibility of the games so you're still able to watch live games you're able to watch highlight shows you're able to see interviews from maybe some of your favorite players you're able to see um the warm-up show on the the fa player website there is that accessibility now so um young players are able to watch women's games they're able to still access them and and there is so much that you can learn just from watching games and watching players and watching um football so i think that that's a positive that there is that accessibility and hopefully it will still mean that players are or, or young players are still they're still hooked they, they they still have that it creates that and keeps and maintains that level of interest for young players because of that accessibility and again I still think that obviously more can be done I think more can be done from individual clubs to be putting on um, either um, sort of master classes or things like that that can actually or top tips for young players and for the grassroots players so that um, they have an opportunity to be doing some sort of skill development in their own homes or um, sort of fitness development and things in their own homes. So, again, I think it, there's more that can be done. I think that if the pandemic had happened five years ago, it, it would have been catastrophic for the women's game. I think the fact that it's happened now, um, I'm hoping it will have a um, sort of less of an impact. I think one thing as I said I think previously was that the the women's game at the moment because it is in its infancy I think is still quite vulnerable and in terms of funding of the sport I think there's approximately 80% of funding for the women's game at the moment comes from sponsorship and um, sort of investment in businesses so 
I would also um, be concerned about sort of the threat of um, businesses that maybe previously would have invested in the women's game um, having to withdraw that investment because of their own financial struggles as a result of the pandemic. So that then I think leaves that this sort of women's game and the growth of the women's game and um, the financial support for, for players um, I think it, it again leaves them vulnerable. So, yeah, I, I think it, hopefully that there'll be sort of minimal damage as a result of the pandemic. But and I think there's definitely more that can be done to support grassroots players and and their development during this time. However, hopefully that um, sort of damage will be minimised because of the accessibility and, and visibility still of young players being able to watch games. Yeah, great, great point you 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 shared here the positivity because we we tend to look to the negative side. Mm. Uh, of course, we need to contextualize. We are talking about England. Uh, of course, mm. if we look to our neighbors, <laughs> maybe it's not the same because the visibility is not there. But also, it's we can also have a positive side here. And I I, I am always saying this here in the podcast is look to your neighbor and see what he's doing. Uh, mm. You can reach that too. You can be yeah. you can be England uh, at your own way, of course, but uh, regarding women's football. So, sorry, Katia, before before you jump into that, I think I just want to share uh, another example. But for the non non English speaking countries, I think, and the Reto Iberdrola and the Liga Iberdrola, the Spanish yeah. league, I think they also took advantage really well to this stoppage time because they have received many. Latin American players traveling and playing in their in their teams and they are doing an amazing job through their social media to try and, and share what they're doing and I think it's it's something for Spanish speakers like myself uh, to to follow as well exactly I agree with you uh, but I, I always say this even for England I have to say we need to do better and we need to do more because it needs to reach another level And we, we, we need to push it further, of course. And regarding to the grassroots level, I mean, it's the time to take up the girls and not only giving the visibility, but after it, when, when it's possible to exercise, saying to them, come join, take an, an experience. Because what we saw some years ago was that the, the lack of development, the grassroots development. That's why you said before you didn't watch women's football, Uh, because the development was not there. Uh, the development was, was starting now. So we need to, to, to keep it to, in 10 years to have a great level of women's football. Yeah, let's hope all over the world. So we need to take this also as, of course, it's negative, but an advantage and opportunity to take it to the grassroots level, to, to, to the top, and to reach the position that you reached. You played in the professional league, right? Uh, the, no, the women, uh, no, so I we were still classified as semi-professional as I, the, the year I retired. But I, again, I had to, uh, I had a decision that I had to make um, with regards to uh, sort of when they reverted training from evening training to daytime training. Yeah. Um, I wasn't able to sort of maintain my, my full-time job and, and, and train at the same time. You, so you, you left your legacy yeah I'm very very happy that I was able to support the, the team in opening doors and yeah 
being part of something that enabled other people to live their dreams and, and have their dreams. Yeah, so. Exactly. So you retired and you didn't experience yes. the, the professional fo only women's footballing in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a FAWSL. And you retired um, in 2019, but you still play with a ball. You joined uh, mm. Team GB Beach Soccer Team. So the sport is different. The rules are different, but the object is the yeah. same. It's the ball. A curious yeah. transition. So can you tell us how this happened and how different is beach soccer from football, especially regarding the team environment? Uh, was beach soccer always a sport you played and enjoyed? Um, so, uh, no. I, funnily enough, I, um, I've never played beach soccer before. Maybe when I've been on holiday, I've, I've kicked a ball about on the beach, but I, I've never actually played beach soccer before and really it was a sport I wasn't that familiar with and I didn't actually realize um at the time that it existed in the UK I, I guess again it comes down to sort of visibility and sort of accessibility um, and promotion of um sort of the women's beach soccer team but so yeah it, it was kind of a, a a bit of a shock really when I, I retired I've been sort of out of the game for a few months and I was already starting to, to miss the game and the rest of the girls had, had gone back to pre-season and were, were talking about sort of all the, the pre-season runs that they were doing and, and I was starting to to miss it um, and then just sort of out of the blue I got a phone call from the um, sort of coach uh, at the time the beach soccer coach and um, who I had actually I think he'd previously coached um, grass football team and we'd, we'd come across to each other, I think, um, when playing grass football. But he, he gave me a call. The, they'd just qualified for the World Beach Games and he was looking to try and strengthen his squad, but also to um, strengthen the, the training squad that he had. So I guess leading up to um, competition, he wanted sort of um, players that would be able to provide a level of competitiveness for um, the squad. So to be honest, I'd, I've, I've never actually been a, a fan of sand. I, I love the beach and I love the ocean, but I'm not actually a big fan of sand. It just gets everywhere and um, things. But I um, I, I jumped at the opportunity I think um whatever opportunity is given to you I think take it and if you enjoy it then persist if you don't enjoy it then look for the next opportunity and and, and look for the next thing so I jumped at the opportunity went to sort of the first training session and it is completely different the the game is Yes, the object is the same and the, the whole concept of um, scoring goals is the same, but everything else about the game is, is completely different. And it, it was like playing a completely different sport. Um, the, the tactics are different. The number of players is different. The rules are different. Um, I still don't actually think I know all the rules. Um, I think it's still going to take me a while to really sort of familiarise myself um, with that, which sounds a, a bit strange. Um, sort of having played at the top level and still maybe not knowing all the rules but I so yeah it, it was very very different training sessions were very different the type of fitness was very different the game was much faster but I absolutely loved it I was hooked from the first training session absolutely fell in love with it Um, it was very, I think, being barefoot on the sand, it was very liberating, very refreshing. Um, so sort of hanging up the boots and, and then sort of playing um, barefoot 
um, it, it was just, it was very liberating, very refreshing. Um, and I absolutely loved it. And the, the girls were all very um, welcoming and um, made me sort of very comfortable. So um, I, I then was invited back to um, sort of subsequent training sessions. Um, and I was training with the, the squad for about six weeks. So I guess it was kind of a, a trial. And then the, the manager was due to um, announce his sort of squad to go out to um, Doha for, for the, the, the World Beach Games. And I didn't think I had a chance of being part of the squad because there was obviously an established squad. There was a group of players that had actually qualified for the tournament. So I, I wasn't expecting to um, be selected, especially as I was so new to the sport as well. Um, but I wanted to give myself every possible chance of, of being selected. So after work, I'd go to the sand on my own and just sort of run up and down on the, the, the sand, um, just shoot goals into the, a, an empty net and retrieve the ball and just sort of watching games to try and um, sort of learn more about the game. And I just, I wanted to to give myself every possible chance and know that I'd done everything I possibly could to um, be considered for selection. Um, and if I didn't, I would have known that I've given it my absolute best. Um, and if I was selected, then I knew that I'd be um, sort of strong and fit and sort of well-equipped, ready to um, go into that tournament. And yeah, I, I was very, very lucky. Um, the manager gave me a call and sort of said that I'd, I'd been selected um, to to go to to Doha. Um, and from there, it was just um, it still seems quite surreal for now. It, it, it's an absolute uh, dream. I think even when I was playing at grass football, I, I, I played at sort of almost top level. Sort of, I played against England internationals and, and top players, and I always wanted to play for my country and when I retired from grass football you kind of think that that dream's gone and then all of a sudden um I'm at a sort of world tournament um singing the national anthem pulling on the the GB shirt and it just it, it still feels like it's so surreal and and things um now but it, it was a fantastic experience and um it, yeah so grateful for it and I, I just can't wait to get back on the sand now. So um, it, it's been um, a, a tough year as well, not being able to to train. We were set to go to the Euros in Portugal, actually, um, in um, August, but unfortunately that w was cancelled. So um, really, I'm just um, looking forward to, to when we can get back on the sand and we can start training again um, and we can start going to international tournaments again. Well, congratulations on that step. I mean, I think the the highlight here is to, that that you take the risk, but since you still have the same mentality in a way, like the way you used to deliver your very best in grass, you take this to to beach soccer, and it sounds like a lot of fun at the same time. Mm. But you you're able to use something, but also try different tricks, and as you mentioned, uh, making it faster and change a the goals and, and the rules and I think that's that's incredible and because there's always another opportunity to accomplish your dreams and I mean you see yes. that opportunity back then you saw that opportunity and jump into it so I think that's incredible 
And so the next tournament that you will be, that you want to take part of, of this is the Euros, I think. That's what I understood. Uh, yes, that, that it was cancelled. Um, there was a, a tournament um, in Portugal that has been cancelled. So I think it's been postponed to um, 2021 now. So ho hopefully in September we'll be able to, to go. But is there, is there beach, beach soccer in the Tokyo Olympic Games? Um, no. So unfortunately, um, beach soccer isn't actually an Olympic sport, Olympic sport at the moment. So the World Beach Games is the, the pinnacle of um, beach soccer. It's the, sort of the, the highest level um, that you can play at. Um, when we did compete and um, there was talk um, amongst um, sort of GB staff around um, the possibility of working towards getting beach soccer accredited for future Olympics um, but it won't be Tokyo and it won't be I think it might be Paris is it next um, I'm not sure yeah Paris yeah so yes. um, it won't take part in either of those Olympics but potentially um, the one after um, but yeah at the moment it's not so unfortunately there won't be any any Olympic medal let's hope let's hope uh, first let's hope that Tokyo takes place let, because yes we, we exactly. hope so that happened yes <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that in the next ones that you you can be there let's let's hope so too yeah <laughs> <laughs> we'll see but now let's transition from sports to your actual job and what is really curious about you is this career transition uh, i think for me and i think for maria too Uh, I never heard about a player who had a, a similar pathway to yours, uh, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so, outside sports, you are the head of college at Stansted Airport College. Can you please tell us a bit about your experience and how was the transition, even during the time you played, to this job position? So I think um, I've always had to um, balance and juggle my um, football career with my, um, I, I guess, my, my academic career, I guess. Um, and it, it's been tough at times. It, it's been challenging. Um, but I, I'm very lucky that I love sort of what I do. I love my job. Um, I love working with young people um, and uh, sort of looking to support them and inspire them on the next journey. And I love football. So it's much easier to, to um, sort of em embrace um, the, the challenges and, and when you're tired and, and starting sort of to feel the pressure, it, it, it's much easier to be able to keep pushing and keep pushing when, when you really do sort of love what you do. So I, I've been lucky in that sense. With regards to education, I started, as I said, I transitioned from physio into education and, and I progressed up the career ladder um, at various colleges um, into management and leadership roles. And um, I really sort of became a, I, I guess, although my subject specialism was um, sport, I became a educational specialist where I, I sort of developed a really deep understanding of um, education of young people of sort of curriculum and quality um, and learner needs so I used that educational experience um, that and that really sort of provided the foundation for me um, securing the job at Stansted Airport College and um, 
we built the, the the college from scratch. So I was appointed. Um, there wasn't even a building um, at the the time, so um, I was involved with um, sort of part of the the build and the design and um, sort of the layout of the classrooms, the design of the curriculum. Um, we worked very closely with employers and some sort of key partners at Stansted Airport um, that informed the the skills and the knowledge they needed young people to have to enable them to transition smoothly into the workplace after studying and, and completing um, their programs at the college. So um, that was very, it was a very sort of pressurised role and um, it involved long hours. And unfortunately, my football did um, suffer as a result. There was times when I was arriving late to training and it, it, it was tough. It was tough for for me mentally because um, I wasn't able to give uh, sort of everything and um, that, that I wanted to give to to my football and as a result I, I sort of went from being a regular starter um, in um, the Spurs ladies team to then sort of being on the bench and and that was mentally very sort of challenging for me um, as well and a tough experience and I it, I guess um, it, it taught me a lot about myself and, and it gave me sort of a, a different, I, I guess, perception of the game and a different perception of um, sort of my role within the game. And I think it was just sort of a, a tough time, but I think I, I probably, I learned a lot about myself sort of during that time and during the time where I was having to really sort of balance to sort of playing football at, at the top level in the Women's Super League and also um sort of running a, a an aviation college um for sort of a large number of um students was it, it was tough balancing the two but I, I said I love what I do and I I never wanted to let the learners down and I never wanted to let my teammates down so I still sort of tried to give everything I could um I think to, to both roles and and now I've, I've sort of still working at at the college and that that as well during the pandemic has been challenging trying to still sort of deliver online learning to all of our students um during the time but it's um I I do enjoy a challenge and I think every challenge helps you to to grow and develop and learn things about yourself um so um just sort of you need to embrace it I think and um just to keep doing the best you can do on that note, Wendy, how great is, is football as a school to prepare, and uh, you know, individuals into transition mm -hmm. into into professional lives? Do you think they there's still like a range of improvement into making footballers available to to join the the different labor market? I mean, in different roles. What do you think about that? I think football um, has played a big part in um, sort of. Am today and a, a big part in what I've achieved off of the pitch and I think whatever level um, you play at uh, I think there are so many lessons that you can learn from football I've I've been lucky enough to to travel the world and see the world through my football and um, but also I think football is very often an emotional roller coaster and having to deal with um, sort of the emotions of, of the, the highs of winning and the lows of losing and promotion and relegations and the pressures to win. Um, you um, learn to work 
and understand the importance of teamwork and communication and collaboration. And all of these skills are, are transferable into leadership roles or, or roles off of the pitch. And I think really football is a fantastic space to learn and, and develop those skills um, somewhat unknowingly um, it's you don't sort of, it's not like sitting in the classroom and being taught or told to do this you you're sort of doing something that um, you love and enjoy and unknowingly you're sort of be having the opportunity to develop um, all of these skills which are essential to um, I think so many careers and um, it also it, I, I think something that was really important about football is it it helps you to become familiar with failure and losing and losing and losing over and over again. It it gives you that familiarity and a lot of people fear failure. And um, I think playing football and realising that ultimately you you can still get to the top, but there will be losses and there will be failure along the way. Um, I think it's a, a great example of how important failure is and how important um, losing is to your own personal development and, and growth and you can see that you can still get to the, the, the very very top I, I've lost so many games over my my career yet I still was able to win a, a silver medal at the World Beach Games and stand on a podium so um, I just think that's a, a sort of a really important um, lesson as well that, that football can can teach you and um, but it, it, it's such a great platform for for developing skills and um sort of developing those leadership skills and it absolutely it's helped me to sort of become the the leader that I am um today you have exposure to a wide range of individuals and you start to understand um different uh, sort of people's backgrounds and perspectives and develop a I think real appreciation for um, different individuals and again that's key when you're sort of in the workplace or in leadership roles so yeah it's football I think has been a fantastic experience and I would recommend anyone to um, embrace sort of football at whatever level you play it's going to make you a better person and a, a better human. Um, and, and it certainly has um, sort of made me a better, better human and a better leader. A great answer. Develops your mm. own professional and personal skills. Mm. Right. And Wendy, there were a lot of issues that we could talk about here, but we unfortunately are reaching the final. But we discovered something very curious about it. So... <laughs> Football, physiotherapy, beach soccer, professional education, and actress. So <laughs> we know that you took part in the Bend It Like Beckham, the Western musical. Um, the film itself uh, is a knowledge as an inspiration for a whole generation, maybe even for yourself. And in your case, being part of the musical version cast is taking it to a whole new level. Mm. So how was this experience overall? Oh, it, it was amazing. It's still, again, it's something it still feels quite surreal now again to, to think about it. Um, it was an absolutely incredible experience. Um, I, I am probably the most unmusical person that you will ever meet. I have no rhythm and I, I really can't sing. Um, so the, the concept, the, the idea that I was in a West End musical, even to sort of my friends and family that have 
experience my singing and, and dancing skills they they can't comprehend that it actually um happened so um but it, it was an incredible experience and um, I actually just um started off um on sort of working with um the production company on a consultancy basis so I was working with them around how they would bring football to the stage um, making sure that um, that their scripts aligned with the actual rules to make it authentic. Um, I worked with the production team at audition stage when they were auditioning the cast because they wanted to re- sort of recruit individuals that were looked realistic and and sort of they one of the things they actually said to me when we were auditioning the first time they said which of these people can you picture yourself in a changing room with? And that was the, it was like this, 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 this person. And yeah, and that was the the starting point from there. And I was going along to rehearsals and just at one point, I don't know how it happened really, but at at one point, um, once they'd selected the the cast and they'd done the rehearsals and they were um, looking at doing the production video, um, the promotional video, sorry, um, for for the show, they asked if I would be part of that and if I would start the video with a few skills and a few tricks and and kick-ups, which I did. Um, And then from there they said, well, actually we have decided we need a footballer um, because it's going to be easier to train a footballer to do the dance moves and it's going to be to train an actress and an actor to be able to to do the football skills and the technical element of it again to to really I suppose create that level of authenticity for the audience um, and make it sort of believable that these people on stage are sort of top class professional athletes so yeah then from there so again jumped at the opportunity at at the time I was working full-time, I was playing for Spurs, so taking on another job, so to speak, another role, um, didn't really seem um, very realistic, but I I knew it was an opportunity of a lifetime and I wanted to to make it happen and um, find a a way to to juggle everything and make it, yeah, make it happen. And I I did, and it it was amazing, the, the feeling of... Probably one of the most um, nerve-wracking things that I've ever done. And going onto the stage for the the first night um, was uh, so far out of my comfort zone, I can't even explain. Um, And probably one of the most nerve-wracking things that I've ever done. But again, I think another really important message um, is that some of the most incredible and amazing experiences that you'll ever have in your life are when you push yourself so far out of your comfort zone um, you push yourself to places you don't want to go and um, sort of the, the reward for that is that you have sort of 2,000 people on their feet giving you a standing ovation at sort of the end of a, a performance um, and they're, they're things that will stay with me for an absolute lifetime it's actually given me goosebumps now just <laughs> reliving that experience so um, yeah and to think that that came from pushing myself is probably as far out of my, my comfort zone as I, I, I probably could have gone and 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 I got uh, got the rewards for that well I I don't think there is a better way of ending this interview really Wendy thank you so much for for joining us and us accepting our invitation it's been lovely to talk with you and meet you both so thank you very much for having me 
Well, Wendy, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you had a football, aviation, beach, soccer, pleasing flight. I think this is the, the best way to describe this. Thank you so much for staying with us during this second season of Two Goals Podcast. Remember, every one of our stories are available on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. Thank you, Katia, for <laughs> taking us everywhere in the world with these platforms. And also remember to follow our updates in Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Give us some love there with the account at Two Goals Podcast. Like us, comment, retweet us, please, and hope to see you all soon.